Hey. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> that was odd, thanks. <laughs> uh, thank you all. I really do love that song. That is, I don't like that down there. I'll get up here better. Uh, it's one of my faves right now. It really is. I like it. I listen to it a lot, and I'm glad you played it. Because that's the first time I think I've heard anybody here at this church play that song. So you win. You win the worship battle here. Uh, <laughs> sorry that you all had to be a part of that. Um, <laughs> my name is Johnny. Uh, if I have never met you before, I'm one of the pastors here at First Methodist. So glad to get to be in worship with you here. Um, all of our staff here, United Student Ministries, are really excited. Uh, if this is your first time and we haven't met you yet, we'd love to do so. So make sure we get a chance to do that right after the service uh, is over with. And, and also, all the things Amanda talked about, so good. So um, hopefully you were, you were alive during those moments because uh, some really exciting stuff coming up with Mission Week. Uh, the landing, always so good. Some of the stuff we'll talk about in this series, uh, I think might might hurt a little bit. <laughs> Might hurt a little bit in here. Uh, and so we want you to know that the landing is that place. It's a place of recovery. And I know for a lot of people, they think, well, I don't need that. That's not something for me. And, and to be honest, it's something we all need at different times in our lives. So I, I really hope that if that's happening, if there's stuff you're going through, stuff you're trying to work through, that you make that a place, uh, a safe place for you to be. Uh, and lastly, the Methodist Children's Home thing, partnering. Partnering with them is super cool, so I hope, I hope you have an opportunity to be a part of that blessing uh, some seniors as they graduate um, and are literally, have been on their own for a while, but are going to be continuing on their own with very little support, so um, hopefully we can be a part of doing that. All right, so tonight we're beginning this new series called Seven, right, and, and it's kind of a, va- a vague name. Uh, it could mean a number of things. Thank you. Amen, we'll see y'all later. (laughs) Uh, In this case, in particular, though, we named the Series 7 because we're making seven comparisons. Um, We're really talking about two paths, like Amanda said earlier. We have two different paths uh, that we we follow in our lives, that we walk down. Uh, Sometimes knowingly, sometimes we're unsure what path we are walking down until we um, are told. Um, and then we're going to make seven little comparisons here. So uh, the idea is that spiritually speaking, spiritually speaking, we have two paths. We have two choices to make uh, and paths that we walk in life. The path that leads to life, and then there's a path that leads to death. Now, I said spiritually speaking, so I'm not talking about literal, at the end of this path, there's somebody that's going to kill you, and at the end of this life, or this path, you get like an extra life like you would in a video game. That's not how it works. I'm talking spiritually, but, but we, um, we would be naive to think that our spiritual life does not affect our physical and emotional life as well. That all of those things are connected. So go our spiritual life, as goes our physical life, our emotional life, and, and all around. It's cyclical. If your emotional life is a wreck, it tends to affect your physical life and affect your spiritual life. So these are the things we know. But spiritually speaking, there's a path that leads to life and a path that leads to death. So let me explain a little bit more. <clears throat> sin, sin is the path that leads to death. It's biblical. Um, and at its most basic level, sin, what sin is, is the separation from God. Our spirits need to be connected 
to God. So when we remain separated from Him, when we, when we um, have this sinful part of us, this, this part of us that's living over here in this area on that path that leads to death, it remains separated from God, our spirit disintegrates. Right? Uh, and so we need to remain connected to God. So in the 4th century, um, those of you that really don't care about history at all can just take like a two-minute nap right now. Um, so uh, in the 4th century, there was a monk named Evagrius Ponti- Pontificus, right? There'll be a test on this later. He compiled a list of what he deemed to be eight root sins, eight root things that happen that cause these other sinful actions, right? So if you were to make the list of the one million things that we would consider a sin, he narrowed it down to eight things, eight tendencies, eight behaviors that really caused all the rest of this stuff. And about 200 years later, Pope Gregory uh, the, the first edited the list down to seven. And, and today we still talk about that list as the seven deadly sins. Anybody heard of the seven deadly sins before? Okay. Um, so we don't talk about it a whole lot because, um, I don't know. I don't know why we don't. But here's the list. So maybe you've seen this before. Pride, envy, sloth, not the animal, greed, <laughs> lust, wrath, and gluttony. Now, a lot of you in this room may know what these things mean, and you're already starting to make little check marks like, yep, and yep, and yep. I don't, I don't know what sloth is, but yep, you know. Um, starting to make check marks here. Some of these, you may have no idea what they mean. Most of these, I would be willing to guess you have some idea. You think you know, but they actually mean something much more and much deeper than what we may think, gluttony being one of those things. Um, so... Um, this is the, the list of seven, and, and the reason we don't really talk much about it is because this list, as you see it compiled here, doesn't exist in the Bible. Nowhere did Jesus say, here are the seven root sins, you know, because obviously we wouldn't need Evagrius Pontificus and, and Pope Gregory to point them out to us. These are things that they got through reading the scriptures. So these, this list of seven, they're talked about throughout scriptures, they're all over the place. There's just no one set compiled list, right? So uh, this is the list we're going to talk about. There's seven root sins here, all discussed through the scriptures. These sins, um, I like to call them not just sins, but tendencies. You know, sin makes it sound like I, I acted on this, but a tendency is I have a tendency to be greedy. It's almost like it's a part of who I am. It's this cancer that's latched on to me, you know, and it, I, I don't want to be that, but I find myself constantly being greedy, prideful, same things. Uh, so these are tendencies, and if we allow these tendencies to reign in our lives, um, it will certainly destroy the beautiful creation that God intended for each of our souls to be. It, like I said, it's like a cancer. It just eats away at our soul, and it continues to separate us, isolate us, away from God. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. And the, and the other hard thing, the tough thing about these, the tough thing about a lot of these things is they, they promise something. For example, greed. Greed promises that you're going to have it all, right? And it doesn't, it's not just money, but that everything exists for you and that you can have it all and that you should at the expense of others. And, and what happens is that turns out to be a lie, it promises something that it can't deliver you, right? So these tendencies make promises that can't deliver. But on the other hand, 
Christ, we have this other path, Christ is the path that leads to life. Uh, In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, uh, it quotes Jesus by saying, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life to the fullest. Our sin, those sins that you see listed there, our sin is that thief. Our sin is that thief, and it's good. It's a really good thief. Thieves know how to get into places that they shouldn't be in and take things that don't belong to them. Our sin is that thief, but Christ is our Savior. He came to save us from our own selves, to save us from our sinful nature, to save us from our destructive tendencies. He wants us to have life, and not just to live, but to thrive. He doesn't want you just surviving and walking around. He wants you to thrive in your life. Uh, in his first ever recorded sermon, uh, Jesus's. So in the Gospels, there's these Gospel writers, and many of them followed, followed Jesus around. And the first time they wrote down a sermon that he said, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you look in the book of Matthew, it's the very first Gospel, very first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 5, you'll find... Uh, where this sermon begins. And in this sermon, Jesus begins with this idea of the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he begins to define certain characteristics, uh, certain types of people that embody this kingdom. Right? Uh, Especially people that are seeking the kingdom. So this list is called the Beatitudes. Anybody heard that word before, Beatitudes? Anybody actually know what it means? I didn't either for the longest time. Uh, Beatitude is a word derived from a Latin term that means blessedness. Blessedness. And you'll find out why in just a second. Uh, So here's how the Beatitudes go. Uh, It starts off, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to be spending the next few weeks talking about each of these paths, the path that leads to life, the path that leads to death. And, and what we'll do in each one of these sermons is we're first going to examine one of those deadly sins, one of those tendencies. We're going to take one, we're going to examine it. And, and the really cool thing in this, in this book that uh, we read as a staff called Seven uh, which is how we came up with the name of this, uh, this guy named Jeff Cook actually um, puts together these seven deadly sins um, with the Beatitudes. It's really interesting. So you have these seven things that have been known to separate us from God and disintegrate our soul matched with these things that Jesus talks about as far as characteristics and values that we have um, to get to the kingdom of heaven. Very interesting comparison. So that's what we're going to do here. Very interesting stuff. And we're going to start... This week, with pride. Pride. So in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit or an arrogant spirit uh, before a fall. So we've got to start by talking about what pride is and what pride 
isn't. When I first heard that as a Christian that I shouldn't be proud, uh, I was a little confused. I don't know if any of y'all thought that, but I, I thought if I studied really, really hard for my chemistry test, and I was awful at chemistry, was awful, I still am awful at chemistry, um, and if I studied really, really, really hard for this test, and, and, and I got a good grade, that I wasn't supposed to be proud about that. I mean, has anybody done that before? Like, actually studied for something you didn't think you were going to do well at, and then did well on it? No? Okay. One person, Kevin. I don't believe you, but awesome. Uh, I'm just kidding. I do believe you. I do believe you. But it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling when you're like, man, I'm totally going to bomb this thing. And I tried really hard, and I got my grade back, and I didn't bomb it. I actually did well. I was so excited. And I thought this meant that as a Christian, I wasn't supposed to be proud of that. Some of you do sports. Uh, um, I, I used to run cross country in high school, and, and I still run from time to time now. And, and I thought if I trained really hard for a race, and I run that race so well, and I run like a personal best time, or I, I, I rank really highly, um, that I wasn't supposed to be proud of myself for something I worked really hard to do. I, I couldn't enjoy it because I, I, I wasn't supposed to be proud. This is, this is not the type of pride that we consider a deadly sin. It, it, it's actually quite, uh, quite different from that because it's not unhealthy for you to be excited about an accomplishment, especially if you worked really, really hard for it. It is destructive to be obsessed with yourself, though. I'm just going to let that sink into some of you right now. It is destructive to be obsessed with yourself. The pride that we were talking about tonight convinces us that everything exists to serve me. And often that includes God. That I'm the center of the, the universe. And when we do that, when I do that, I become God. I'm obsessed with myself, my wants, my needs, my desires, and often that comes at the expense of others. And it, I guess the best way to put this is that, that pride is not necessarily thinking too much of yourself. Right? Sometimes, sometimes we're good at what we do, and, and you're like, I know I'm good at this, you know. Obviously, sophomores are really good at basketball. It's okay. Be proud of yourself. It's not, it's not thinking too much of yourself. It's thinking of yourself too much. That's what pride is. That we're consumed with us. And when we allow pride to reign in our lives, we isolate ourselves from each other and from God. But I want to be clear. It's not, it's not that God separates from you. Scripture tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. It's not that God that separates himself from you, but when we are prideful, when we are full of pride and we're f- full of ourselves, obsessed with ourselves, and just, I, it's the things that I need, and it doesn't matter what other people need, it's what I need. All I can think about is me. I'm separated from God. I can't be close to God because I'm number one. It's not God separating from me. It's me separating from God because I am more important. I am number one. And our obsession with ourself destroys earthly relationships because earthly relationships, real relationship, real relationship requires sacrifice. We talked about this in our last series. Real relationship requires sacrifice and a proud spirit. Somebody who's obsessed with himself, who is proud, 
A proud spirit cannot sacrifice because it is swallowed up in its own self-interest. This is what pride is. And all too often, the proud spirit projects this false sense of perfection. It's unwilling to ask for help because if I'm number one and I'm the best and I'm the great, like I cannot show any faults. I can't show any flaws. If I'm hurting or something that's going on inside of me, I can't let other people know because that will be perceived as weakness. I can't have any holes or cracks in my, in my armor. And if somebody sees that weakness, it's going to compromise the dominance that, my, that I need as a proud person. It compromises that. But Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are broken. Blessed are those who are imperfect. Blessed are those who are lacking spiritually, and they know it, and they will admit it. This is what Jesus is saying. You see, being poor in spirit, being broken, being spiritually empty is not a prescription. This is what I first thought when I read this as a kid. I thought, well, I don't feel very poor in spirit all the time. Is is Jesus saying to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, I always have to be spiritually poor? That I always have to feel broken? Or I, I always have to be a little bit empty? Or that I always need to be lacking? Jesus isn't saying that. He's not saying this is a prescription for the kingdom of heaven. He's saying that being poor in spirit is a condition. It's a reality for a lot of people. Jesus isn't saying that to be part of the kingdom of heaven that you must always be in a state of spiritual emptiness. He's saying that we should recognize that at some point all of us experience that emptiness. And if we, um, uh, if we are, I wrote this really wrong. Uh, oh, if we are willing, not will. <laughs> if we are willing to get out of our own way and ask for help. So if we recognize that at some point all of us experience this emptiness and we're willing to get out of our own way, we're willing to put our guard down and reach out and ask for help. If we would simply humble ourselves, humility, the opposite of pride, if we would simply humble ourselves, only then can we grasp at that life that Jesus offers. Because in the kingdom of heaven, people are brought together. What pride does is it isolates you because you're number one, and often that, that, that happens, we get so obsessed with ourselves that we end up having disdain for others. We, we need me to be okay first, so everybody back up and let me take care of me. Whereas the kingdom of heaven is about bringing people together. It's about recognizing our brokenness, recognizing we need each other, and coming together. Broken people, healing people, healed people, because Christ's path... Uh, in Christ's path, we suffer and we mend together. In Christ's path, no person is greater than the other because we all feel empty sometimes and we all experience brokenness. That's a truth for everybody. Being poor in spirit, recognizing it, admitting it, coming to God with it, and then helping each other through it. Recognizing that no one person is greater than the other. The best way I think uh, this can be illustrated is, is the story of a man. This man had a dream in which an angel showed him two doors, standing in two doors. And each door was labeled, one, 
was marked heaven, and the other was marked hell. So curious, uh, the man went to the door marked hell first. Inside he saw a very unhappy sight, as one might guess. There were 12 starving people that sat around a huge pot of hot soup. Beside them were very large spoons, too large, in fact. Many were able to get food on the end of the spoon, but could never get to the food to their lips. Those in hell were never able to eat because their spoons were too long. Most in hell, the angel explained, have spent long hours trying to feed themselves, but have failed again and again. And the dreamer watched them staring, starving, and he quickly backed away from hell's doorway. These people have no hope, he thought. It seemed that God was mocking them. It's torture, he said to the angel, to have what you desire sitting right before you, yet not being able to taste it. Then he turned and opened the door marked heaven. Inside he saw 12 people sitting around a huge pot of soup with spoons too long to lift to their lips. The room was the same size as the one in hell, the same light, the same size. It was the exact same. But in this room, there was a joy unlike anything the man had ever seen. He and the angel were caught up in the laughter. There was even singing, and they celebrated for long hours as the soup sat boiling before them. As the man closed the door and left, he was puzzled by the contrast between the two rooms. One was so filled with joy, and the other was so filled with misery. It was almost like a prison. Certainly, those in heaven had to have been in denial, right? Maybe, maybe they had just grown used to the suffering. Looking at the angel, the dreamer asked why those in heaven were happy while those in hell were not. And the angel said, those in heaven have learned to feed each other. And that is the difference between pride and humility, between hell and heaven, between the sinful path and Christ's path. Whereas the kingdom of heaven is communal. It, it's, it's bent toward the service of others. The attitude of hell assumes everything exists for me. To serve me. To benefit me. Because I am that significant. Pride is the first barrier to kingdom living. It must be destroyed if we are to pursue, pursue the fully healed and restored life that Jesus offers us. Obsession with oneself is the defining mark of a disintegrating soul. But the humble heart, the humble heart is open to life. Let us pray. God, we spend too much time asking What's in it for me? We call ourselves your children and sing your praises. And then we ignore those in need and walk away from the sick and the hurting. Help us get our priorities in order, God. Help us to put you first, others second, 
and ourselves third. God, the world may laugh, it may not get it. We're always told that we should look out for number one, look out for ourselves, but you tell us to look out for each other. God, today we commit. We refuse to let others feel lonely. We'll pay attention to those around us and offer a hand or a shoulder or an ear. We know that when we look after each other, God, we are actually looking after your Son and our Savior, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.